morning. Marizy dotes and dozy dotes and little lambsy divey, a kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? Uh, some of the older members here will recognize those words. And others of you are thinking, Kim, are you losing it? What's this gibberish? Marizy dotes and dozy dotes and little lambsy divey. When I was in first grade, some 65 years ago, my friend Ronnie Pack and I would walk home in Los Angeles from school singing this song. Mary's a dozy and dozy dozy and little lambsy divey, Achilly divey too, wouldn't you? Well, it's a catchy tune, but what is it saying? What does it mean? Well, if you slow it down, it suddenly makes sense. Mares eat oats, and does eat oats, and little lambs eat ivy. A kid will eat ivy too, wouldn't you? Mares are does and does, does and little lambs eat ivy, a kid will eat ivy too, wouldn't you? If you slow it down, it makes more sense. And that's the title and topic of my Dharma talk this morning. If you slow it down, it makes more sense. We live in a high-speed, high-tech city and world in which everything is constantly on fast-forward. And the motto, I think, of this high-tech era is the quicker, the faster, the shorter, the better. And there are times when that is true, but I think we pay a high price for that. In our high-speed lives, we often miss the forest for the trees, and the blur that passes before our eyes is so fast and we have so little time to process it that it often makes little more sense than Merzidos and Dozidos and Little Lambsy Divey. Let me say right off the bat that I am as guilty as anyone and probably more than most in getting caught up in this crazy warp speed culture so I would do well to listen to my own words this morning. A couple of quick personal examples. I say somewhat embarrassedly but not totally. When I drive back to the Upper West Side from the temple, I have a very specific route and it goes something like this. If I stick to the left on First Avenue through the 50s and 60s, I can miss the bridge back up and with little luck, by the time I hit 72nd Street, I'm still hitting all green lights. If I turn left on 93rd, not 91st or 95th because they're timed differently, if I turn left on 93rd Street and gun it and I'm fortunate to have no cars ahead of me, I'll be able to hit green lights at uh, Lex, at 3rd, Lex, and Park. And also at uh, Madison where I turn right. And then if I turn from the second lane, not the first lane on the left, on 97th from Madison and gun it, when I hit 5th Avenue I'll still hit the green light before I cross into the park. And when I get to the other side of the park, if I stay to the right as I'm going on 97th Street, I can often hit the green light at Columbus and at Amsterdam when I turn right and I will have made it from 57th and 1st Avenue to 106th at Amsterdam without hitting a red light. Well, bully for me! Three minutes later I'm at my garage in 108th Street and Broadway. Now that's a game that I play and I imagine lots of drivers in the city play those kinds of games. How to get from point A to point B in the minimum amount of time. And probably no great harm done in playing this game. I don't think I'm driving dangerously. I don't think so when I'm doing that. But my adrenaline is pumping, my heart is beating rapidly, and I am in the opposite of what I would call a meditative state. 
when making my rapid race to the west side. And I don't think it's about the time, I don't think it's about saving five minutes. Somehow it's, somehow it's like beating the system. Those traffic lights aren't going to get the best of me. But when I get home, what have I gained? I know what I've lost, and that is some of the sense and calm and centeredness that I found in the morning here at the temple. So I'm telling you right now, and hold me to it, that this afternoon when I leave here, I'm going to drive back to the west side at a very leisurely pace and hopefully can start a new pattern in my city driving this year by doing that. Or another personal example, another sort of inane example, but it's how I watch sports on TV. I have cable with DVR or TiVo built into the cable box so I can record any event right on the cable box and watch it at my leisure at which point I can then fast forward at wish. During baseball season, being a diehard Dodger fan and a baseball fanatic, I TiVo most Dodger games, especially those which are late from the West Coast. Then the next morning before going to work, I watched the game from the night before, fast forwarding between every pitch. Now I can catch every pitch in that game and I can watch a three hour game in about 30 to 35 minutes. Now that may be better than spending three hours a day watching a baseball game, but it's a very nervous way to watch a game. It drives my son-in-law crazy if I'm doing that when he's there. When you watch baseball in real time, it's kind of a meditative sport. With each pitch you can be thinking, what would I throw now if I were the pitcher? He just swung at an inside fastball, so I think now I'd try to throw him an outside breaking ball. Now that's a real kind of relaxed pleasure in watching a game that way. And that's a pleasure that I forfeit by doing my fast-forward instant baseball game thing. Now these are two, as I say, rather inane examples of speeding things up that I do. But I would guess that most of us have different versions of this. For many in my children's and grandchildren's generations, it's a question of always having the iPhone or Blackberry within view, constantly scanning for email, Facebook, messages, and so forth. And is there anything more annoying than sitting with someone in a restaurant wanting to have a relaxed conversation and sensing that the other person is only half there because they're constantly glancing at their phone? And of course, leisurely meals in New York restaurants are a pretty rare thing to begin with. Is there any place in the world where waiters are quicker at snatching the plate out from under your fork once you've taken the last <laughs> bite than New York? If you've traveled to Europe, you know how different it is there. When Europeans go out to eat, and this is somewhat of a generalization, but they plan to spend a minimum of two to three hours enjoying the meal and the conversation, and the restaurants, by and large, accommodate that. What a wonderful and rare thing it is to spend three hours eating and talking in a nice restaurant. My wife and I rediscovered that last year when we were visiting my son and his family who were spending a year in Rennes in the Normandy section of France. We had some wonderful relaxed meals. We were also struck again by how the whole social system seems to work differently there. My son and daughter-in-law made some good friends in Rennes who were young professionals including a surgeon and a lawyer. And these people were busy but they always seem to have time to come over at the last minute for dessert or a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. You didn't have to call them three weeks ahead of time to fit into their schedule. 
And what a difference from what we experience here in New York. And unfortunately, Western Europe is changing a bit in this respect too, especially in large cities like Paris, London, and Rome. But there still is a huge difference. And I think that one can say that Europeans still seem to place more value on human contact with friends and family as being their top priority than we do. I remember when my wife and I lived in Belgium some 45 years ago when I was pastor of the American Protestant Church in Antwerp. Many of the American businessmen we met there just couldn't understand what they called the Belgian mentality. At that time, there were American, uh, many American oil companies setting up new refineries in the Antwerp area. They wanted to build these plants ASAP. So they offered Belgian workers overtime opportunities with double time pay. But the Belgians wanted nothing to do with it. By and large, their attitude was, you can pay me whatever you like, but I'm not going to work 16-hour days and lose that valuable time with my family. And the Americans just couldn't understand this. What's wrong with these Belgians? You know, we're offering them all this money and then they're saying, no, thank you. So what is it that drives us as a society, as a city, that makes our lives so hurried? Why is it so hard for us to do, as the saying goes, to stop and smell the roses? That's a hard question to answer, and I'm sure there's no simple answer. There are many aspects to it. Part of it, I think, is driven economically. The more you achieve in a shorter period of time, the more revenue you generate. Uh, it's also partly a question of convenience. Living in a city like New York is not easy, and there is some truth to Frank Sinatra's famous lyrics, if I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. There are lots of obstacles in this city from crowded sidewalks in Midtown, to long lines in supermarkets or movie theaters, to stalled subways that spend, that can sit sometimes for 30 minutes between stops and so forth. Things that slow us down in an annoying and irritable fashion. So we tend to take every opportunity we can to try to speed things up a bit. We order our food from Fresh Direct or we bite the bullet and spend an extra $1.50 per movie ticket to get our tickets online, and which is not a bad idea, I think, and is often understandable and, and sometimes wise. But what happens is that this becomes more than just a question of convenience. It becomes a way of life. Quicker and shorter is better. But is it? Is it really? In his book, Pieces Every Step, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about trying to make every activity in our life a meditative one. He talks about the meditation of eating, feeling the taste and texture of every bite when we eat, and appreciating it. The meditation of dishwashing, feeling the water and soap on your hands, the texture of each dish, and the pleasure of placing the clean dish in the drainer, that is if you don't have a dishwasher. He even talks about the meditation of the traffic jam, creating meditative mantras to go with honking horns or blinking traffic lights. Now that's kind of extreme and certainly hard to achieve, but I think he is really on to something. How much of our time do we feel often is essentially wasted because of the activities that we have to do to get from point A to point B? Even with the technology and gadgets that help us to save time, 
those of us who live in this city, I think we spend an awful lot of time doing what we would often think of as menial tasks. Whether it's physical exercise to stay in shape, cleaning our apartments, doing dishes, or for parents taking kids all over the place, paying bills, etc. And the list goes on and on. How many of these activities bring us any joy at all? I would guess that we tend to do most of them somewhat grudgingly without having anything like a full awareness of the environment in which we're doing them. At those moments, all kinds of things are going on around us that we tend not to notice because we're just trying to get done with them and get on to the next thing or the next place. I think there's a lot of wisdom in the old adage, think before you act. Or in Buddhist parlance, take three deep breaths. How many times, especially in this city, do we find ourselves poised to respond quickly to something that annoys or jolts <coughs> us? Someone quickly steps in front of you, almost knocking you over as you prepare to enter the bus or the subway without saying excuse me. Or a reckless taxi driver almost runs over your foot. The normal immediate reaction, and it's normal in such a situation, is for your adrenaline to start pumping more quickly and the temptation is to lash out either physically or verbally and that's a totally understandable reaction and the feeling comes from its own accord it's not bidden it just you find yourself feeling that but I do think we have a choice of what we do in those situations or we can develop a sense of that choice as we feel about to say or do something which we usually end up regretting and sometimes can get us into real trouble. People get shot in this city sometimes in the summer for taking somebody else's parking space. We have the option of stopping and taping, taking a few deep breaths before reacting. And it's amazing when we can do this, what a difference those few moments, those few breaths can make. And this is something that I think is also really important. I say this as a therapist and marriage counselor and family counselor. In our close relationships, our spouse or significant other or some other family member may say something that is very hurtful and we all experience this from time to time. The words that would first want to come out of our mouths in those situations tend to be exaggerated and unfortunate. Words like, well, then why don't we just split up if that's what you feel, for example. Just three deep breaths can separate us from that kind of statement or something more measured like, that really hurt. Or, I'm really angry at you when you talk like that. And sometimes our reactions, furthermore, are based on total misperceptions, which makes it all the more embarrassing and unfortunate. I think of, here's another personal example, of the elevator in the building in which I live. There are certain people who tend to hold the elevator for long periods of time before they get on. You know, they're coming out the door, and, but they really haven't put their coat on, and the other people haven't come out the door yet, but they're holding the elevator, and, which is obviously annoying. But, and the culprits are usually predictable. It's on certain floors. But I live on the 10th floor, so I know where, <laughs> where it stops, where it stays. But on one recent occasion when the elevator seemed stuck forever on a floor where one of the residents does this, I found myself banging with my keys on the little window in the door of the elevator on my floor to indicate my frustration. 
And I have to say, I was embarrassed and ashamed to discover that in this case, it had taken so long because there was a crippled woman having difficulty putting her wheelchair onto the elevator on the floor that was taking so long. Just a few deep breaths could have made a difference. Or a Thich Nhat Hanh type exercise, meditating while waiting for the elevator. When we rush to judgment or react reflexively rather than mindfully, our environment becomes like the words in the song, there's a dose and dozy dose. Meaningless and often misunderstood. But if we could just slow down and see that mares eat oats and does eat oats and little lambs eat ivy, taking in the fullness of what we're experiencing both within ourselves and in the environment, I think what a difference <coughs> that can make. This was driven home to me in rather dramatic fashion when I had my serious accident last year when I was hit by a car in California, which many of you know and spent several weeks lying still on my back. It's amazing when you can't move without great pain and when getting from bed to a wheelchair is a five minute ordeal. It's amazing in those moments how you notice details that normally would escape you. Things like patterns on the ceiling or on the walls. I could count these little ridges on the ceiling. Or things like the songs of songbirds on tree branches outside the window, or just how the wind hits the curtain a certain way when it's blowing a certain direction. That accident really slowed me down. And as I reported here several months later in a Dharma talk, uh, there was something very wonderful about being slowed down in that way. I didn't rush anywhere because I couldn't. I physically couldn't. And if I couldn't go somewhere because I wasn't physically up to it in the months following that accident, then I didn't go and I didn't sweat it. And I didn't feel guilty about it. And the sense of freedom that came with that was like the lifting of a tremendous weight from my shoulders. I think I learned some lessons from that experience that have stuck with me. But I'm also aware that I haven't been able to keep that perspective as much as I would like now that I've been healthy for the last several months. I catch myself rushing again, as evidenced in my example of my rush to the west side when I leave here on Sunday mornings. And when I'm aware of rushing, I try to stop it when I am aware. Because I know only too well that it just isn't worth it. But it's a constant struggle to keep that perspective. I think the old mantra, less is more, really applies here. This is something I've learned in many ways, but once uh, as a jazz pianist, when I'm comping or playing behind a soloist, the temptation is to try to fill all the empty spaces with notes. But a wise piano teacher that I had helped me to see that sometimes the spaces with no notes make the biggest impact. And that's true in so many kinds of art. Take flower arranging, for example. Every Sunday we see wonderful flower arrangements in the front of the temple. Have you ever noticed that it's never a question of bunches of flowers being stuffed together in a vase? It's usually a question of just a few flowers, a simple branch or two, and perhaps a few leaves arranged in just such a way as to convey a peaceful sense of beauty and space. A great example of how less is more. There was a 
funny movie that came out many years ago, actually a very corny movie. It was called, If It's Tuesday, It Must Be Belgium. It was about the typical American bus tour in Europe where one sees 10 countries in 10 days, spending a lot more time on the bus than enjoying the cities and countries that are being visited. When we travel, it's a real temptation to do that because we get caught up in the idea that quantity matters more than quality. Forgetting that 10 days of relaxed exploration in one city can be much more satisfying and relaxing than one day in each of 10 different cities. The famous photographer Alfred Stieglitz, or Stieglitz had an exercise that he used with students in his photography classes in New York City. He said, I want you to shoot 10 rolls of film without leaving the premises of the house or apartment in which you live. When you pay attention, you'll be amazed at the fascinating images and treasures that you'll find there. Initially, students were disappointed. What? We're in this wonderful city so full of photogenic landscapes and you're telling us to stay at home for this assignment? Yet, when the assignment was finished, the students almost universally agreed that this was incredibly instructive, that you don't have to have a dramatic subject like the Empire State Building, the Taj Mahal, or the Eiffel Tower to ten pleasing photographs. Again, less is more. This is illustrated beautifully in a story that is taught in Taoism. It's about a village in China more than a thousand years ago that was experiencing a major drought that was killing off the crops. The rainmakers in the village were running around rapidly making, madly using incantations and dramatic gestures to try to bring rain, but to no avail. Finally, in desperation, they decided to send for a renowned rainmaker who lived some distance away. He came to the village. He spent some time talking to the people who lived there to get a sense of the place. Then he said, I want to be left alone now. He went to the outskirts of the village and built himself a small shed. He spent the next three days and nights alone in the shed. The people in the village were mystified, wondering what he could possibly be doing. And after three days he emerged, disassembled the shed and started to leave. When the villagers tried to question him, he waved them off and left. What a sham that was, they all said. But the next day, to their amazement, the rains came and it rained steadily for several days, saving the crops that they had planted that season. The people were amazed. How had he done this? They sent a messenger to ask him. And his response was, when I came to your village, I saw that the people in this village were nervous and frantic. They were not in Tao. They were not centered and calm. So I built myself a shed and for three days, I meditated and put myself in a state of Tao. Less is more. If you slow it down, it will make more sense. I think we all know that this is what meditative practice is really all about. Brain studies show that meditation literally slows the brain down. When you live in a place like New York City where there is such constant audio and visual stimulation, our brains literally get overstimulated. I know if I'm down at Macy's at Christmas time, I can make it about 20 minutes so I start going crazy. Uh, we take in more data than we can process. And this takes a toll on our minds 
and on our bodies. Brain scans of people doing meditation have shown conclusively that the process of meditating slows down the rapid firing of neurons within the brain, which in turn lowers blood pressure and clarifies the thinking process. Also, paradoxically, when we go inward and meditate, we seem to become much more tuned into our environment and much more aware of what is going on around us. Our senses become more finely tuned because we learn when meditating how to keep disturbing and distracting thoughts at a distance. And the more we succeed at doing this when meditating, the more we're able to call up this skill at other times during the day. This was demonstrated by researchers in Neuralink processing. They discovered that if you connect a calm and meditative state with a physical stance or gesture, that physical movement can be used to cue the meditative state when you're feeling stress. For example, if you do as I do when I meditate, I put my thumb and third finger together and hold them in that position on my lap. Uh, if you put your, find yourself in a stressful situation and you put your fingers on your lap in that way when you're feeling stressed, you will find that your body may suddenly go into a calm and meditative state because the brain remembers the association and responds to it. If you slow it down, it will make more sense. It's really a pretty simple formula and yet, as we all know, such a difficult one to put into practice. And while we, none of us will probably ever totally master this, I think it's something that hopefully we can all make inroads into. And this is on the top of my list of resolutions for 2011. And this year I hope that I can make some progress in slowing things down, that I can achieve more inner calm by slowing down my mind and body in this wonderful but crazy and hectic city. And I certainly wish the same for you in this new year. <laughs>